Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for today. So glad you could join us. We have a special guest today. We're going to be talking about some um, very interesting things that are very helpful for you, but not necessarily fun to talk about. And of course, if you've got a question for me, you can always send a question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. So Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Got some good questions in this week. We'll cover on future programs. But today we're going to be talking about some fraud and scams and fun things like that. And, and Carl Francois is with me today as my guest from Southern First Bank. So welcome to the microphone, Carl. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I got your name right. I didn't take French, but you, you coached me so I could get your name. Exactly. You said it better than I do when I introduced myself. Oh, yeah. So you've heard, I, I thought it's funny because you've heard your name said, you know, Miller's easy. I can yeah. say Miller. But Francois is something, and you've heard it from anything from yeah, right, from, Francisco to. Exactly. Francisco, <laughs> Francos, Francois. You know, I've, I've heard it, it runs the gamut. So I'm actually more surprised when people get it right. Yeah, that's good. So you are, are new to Greenville, or pretty new, not really even to Greenville yet because you're in process of getting your family up here at Southern First Bank and love the folks at Southern First Bank because they've been my bank for, I can't remember how long. It's been a long, long, long time. And Rob Reeves and Art Seaver, uh, great Christian guys over there that I love working with. And um, and they, so you're new to that team, so I think you're going to really enjoy it, hopefully. But I, I'm sure you're already enjoying your short stay at the bank already. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, meeting with the folks, meeting with, with Art and Mike Dowling, some of those folks, I mean, that's what really drew it to me. Um, because of COVID, having to uh, work remotely for 16 months, getting the opportunity to be back in the office around you know a bunch of great people it's been it's been fantastic so um, i'm really excited to to finally get moved up here within the next month and then really uh get to know greenville so how long you been doing this fraud business you've been with some other banks that had the same thing and and uh how did you get into it to begin with how did you get here yeah yeah uh sure yeah the uh, i always joke that anybody that does what i do for a living uh doesn't have a criminology degree my degree is actually in sports and entertainment management from the (laughs) university of south carolina um, so it was kind of happenstance. I, I had recently moved back to Charlotte. I was looking for a job and, uh, a former, uh, uh, person that I worked with actually got me a job at Wachovia. Um, for those of you that, that remember still, that from still remember ago. Wachovia. Yeah. yeah. That, that maybe even still have scars from Wachovia. Um, but interestingly enough, my first week on the job was, was during the financial collapse. And when I, w- when everything went down, I was actually in what they called it CIC. It was about 20,000 Wachovia employees. It was the second. Second largest, I think, behind the Pentagon for a single employer. Um, so that was interesting. I, I, for, for two years, I worked there doing what's called a BSA, which is the Bank Secrecy Act, um, and doing anti-money laundering reviews. And at that time, Wachovia had gotten fined about $256 million. It was the largest uh, in history up to that point. 
because they were struggling and they had laid off a bunch of staff who uh. were supposed to be doing those reviews, <laughs> so they then had to hire people like me and train me to do it. So, so two hundred fifty-six million probably would cost a little bit more than the employees that they let yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm willing to bet so. So, um, but yeah, they trained me up on it. It was it was amazing to me what you could learn about looking about a, a person's account. Um, you know, it was just fascinating to me. There was a lot of analytics to it. Um, you know, being a global company, I got to look at stuff that was all over the world. And, and so I did that for a couple of years. You know, eventually Wells Fargo realized they didn't need my help anymore. So I had to go find another job. And I was fortunate enough to land at then. It was then SCBT, uh, which has now become mm-hmm. South State Bank. I worked there for 11 years. When I started, I was the third employee in my department. I think by the time I left, there was approximately 95 people yeah. um, just through the growth Big of difference. the bank. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so, you know, a lot of my focus was on, you know, potential money laundering. And then obviously you have fraud, which is which is a big part of that, because obviously if you defraud somebody, you've got to then launder those funds because you've obtained them illegally. Um, so, again, did that for 11 years. Uh, it was a great experience, worked with a lot of great people um, and then got the opportunity, got got sort of tapped on the shoulder and uh, through some mutual acquaintances at Southern First had the uh had the opportunity to meet with the good folks there and, and loved everything I heard and, you know, jo- joined the team a couple months ago, and I'm, I'm yeah. excited to be there. So you've got all these letters after your name. and I, I yeah. understand. I don't even understand a lot of the financial services letters that are out there because a lot of them are just really not much. They're really not worth even the, the paper they're printed on. But they, they put the names out there just to make them sound like they're very educated. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're CAMS and CAFP. What's all that? Yeah. Yeah, the CAMS is a certified uh, anti-money laundering specialist. Okay. Uh, ACAMS is the organization that puts those out, and uh, they're the largest organization of that type. They're, it's a global organization. Um, you go, you have to take a test, you have to learn all about fraud, money laundering, all that sort of stuff to get the certification. It's kind of considered the premier one in, in our business. Um, and then the CAFP is the Certified AML and Fraud Professional. That one's actually a newer one that's put out by the American Banking Association. Um, so it same. This is a similar a similar certification. I'm um, just demonstrating that you have the knowledge to, to truly understand, you know, fraud, AML, how that works, and you know how you can help prevent it. Well, our current CEO Nick Stone Street uh, has been on with me several times. His family lives up. His wife's family lives up in in TR Terrell's Rest, and he tells about being in charge of the banking operations for Merrill Lynch uh, over in, in Swiss in uh, Swiss banks. And the issues he had trying to for the money laundering things that went on for mob people that were trying to use the Swiss banks to get in there and hide the money and that kind of stuff. So uh, I, hopefully you don't have to worry about the mobs, but you, I guess you never know. Huh? Yeah. Somebody trying to back, back, launder back money. when when I was at Wachovia, there were names you would see, and then you would Google <laughs> that name, and you would think, "Ooh, this is this is who I think this is." So it was it was, it was definitely interesting. And I always give the example of you know the bank secrecy act really started with. Cash. A lot of people know the ten thousand dollar rule. If you deposit, withdraw more than right. ten thousand, the bank, by law, we have to fill out a currency transaction report. And I always say, you know, if you ever see like the movie Scarface and the gangsters come in with duffel bags full of cash, that's basically where the genesis came from. That the government said, no, bankers, you're not going to stick your head in the sand. You're going to tell us who's bringing in that cash. Yeah. So that was kind of where it all started years ago. Wow. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot to this, and our course, our goal today is not necessarily we're going to going to catch any money launderers i don't think on the radio but we can at least try to to help folks understand what kind of scams and fraud schemes are out there because there's plenty of, and and virtually everyone's seen one if you got an email account you've seen one if you got a voicemail account you've probably gotten some voicemails on it and so but some of them are so so real so i had to have a little fun a few weeks ago i was telling you earlier 
that I got a, a voicemail message from somebody that said I was in big time trouble. If I didn't respond, they were going to have court action and all kinds of things against me. And normally it's just delete button and I'm done. Well, I guess I was in a crazy mood that day. So I said, okay, let me call them back and see what happens. So I called them back and, and they, of course, asked my name. And, and then they started asking me more information. They said, well, what is your address? And I said, well, you called me. You should know my address. You've got my name. And I, that's as far as it went. And I heard a click. And that was it. They didn't want to continue the conversation. So you can get rid of them quickly, but, but one of these days I'm going to act like I'm, I'm trying to, to trace the call or something and see how long it takes them to, to click then. But they might break a new record if you do that. <laughs> I'm sure they would hang up very quickly. All right. So we're going to talk about some, uh, what we'll call, uh, what, uh, Carl will call the romance scams and the COVID-19 scams and some of the other things that are going around these days that we want you to be aware of so that you are not scammed. And you're not one of those statistics that uh, somebody was able to say, yep, I got their money or I got their information and sold it to somebody else and they got your money or and just cause a lot of pain in your life. We want to try to save you a lot of pain in your life. Any questions, if you think about it, just go to, to Talking Money Radio and go to Ask Mike a Question or just send the question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. We'll be back with a second part of Talking Money in just a few minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. One division is Everyday Steward, which serves clients who are just getting started to those with an investable net worth ranging from 100000 up to a million. For those desiring objective, biblical principles in their investments, cash flow management, financial planning, which includes retirement, insurance, tax, and estate, and their giving, Ronald Blue Trust's Everyday Steward Advisors can serve as their clients' stewardship coaches, so they can focus on a living a life of purpose. For more information about Everyday Stewart and the other divisions of Ronald Blue Trust, they can be found at ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. This is Mike Miller, your host today. My special guest, Carl. Carl. I shouldn't have a problem saying Carl. Francois is a little harder, but uh, I can spit out both of those names. Senior Vice President and Fraud Officer at Southern First Bank is my guest in the studio today. And we're going to be talking about scams. And one of the things that we want to talk about, these romance, what you call romance scams. And who are who are being the targets for those kind of scams? And what are they? Yeah, uh, the, the name is, is, is pretty apt, and um, it's one that even the FBI and the government uses when, when they're speaking about these types of scams. But, you know, the, the general way it works is, is usually going to be through social media, um, and, and it's somebody that they reach out, they make contact to somebody, you know, on a, obviously a, a friendly basis. Um, and, and really what their intent is is they're, they're trying to sort of gain the trust of somebody, and generally this person on the other end is going to pose themselves as somebody of, you know, most likely the opposite sex. And shows some sort of romantic interest over time, um, and and then when they feel like they've they've sort of made inroads and feel like they've 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 got the affection of the other person, the ultimate goal is to get that person to then send them money um, somewhere else. Because most times these individuals are going to claim to be in another country. They could be somewhere in the U.S., but they'll probably always conveniently never be located too close to the person, right, yeah. you know, as <laughs> to avoid a face-to-face interaction. Um, so that, that's that's usually how it works. And, and unfortunately, most of the people that they're going to target are going to be elderly individuals, people that tend to be particularly with COVID sort of shut ins. Right. And they don't have a lot of personal interaction. 
And, you know, just by human nature, we crave interaction with other people, other people that, you know, that pretend, at least in this case, they're pretending to care about them. Um, so that, that vulnerability is really what they're playing. Yeah. Of. I had somebody that actually asked me that question. It's been several months ago, but he had a, he's a single guy, a divorced guy, but he, and he's not elderly. He's not too far from my age, so he can't be elderly. Uh, and he had a, um, lady that was contacting him, communicating with him, said she was from Canada. And Canada, of course, has closed its borders, so no, nobody can come in and out for COVID. So that's convenient. You can't come visit me. Right. Uh, and she said that she had, uh, was inheriting a bunch of gold bars. And in order, and she didn't know what to do with them. She, she wanted his help. He was more financially savvy. And I, you know, I want to, I want to be able to get this stuff to you so you can help me decide how to get rid of it and how to make it in cash and whatever. But I need some money to do that. So I need you to send money. And he sent it to her. And she was going to bend pay the shipping company to help ship the, the gold bars down to him. Mm-hmm. And you know, I told him as soon as we heard it, it's like talked to my wife about it. Said, no, that's that's that is not real. That is not going to happen. But he was so convinced, I think that, and he'd already by this time he'd already sent the money, so it was too late to do that. And and I have not asked him again how that happened. I think it's probably too embarrassing to find out. Um, but what a way to learn a lesson to spend uh, you know ten, twenty, thirty grand. Yeah, and, and it's it's ironic that you mentioned gold bars because one of the examples I had written down involved gold bars. Really? Okay. And yeah, yeah. The uh this this individual pretended to live in Nigeria, which, you know, is notorious for the <laughs> lottery just, scams, yeah. right? right? If you right. go way back, you know, everybody had a deceased relative in Nigeria that it, it either inherited money or they'd won the Nigerian lottery, even though they'd never been there. But but yeah, the the individual pretended to be a young woman who said her father had passed that Right. She had inherited some gold bars, but that she could not afford the tariffs to get the gold bars out of storage, that if the individual who was our customer would just wire her money, that she could then get it. She would get her gold bars, get on an airplane, fly to America, and they would they would figure out what to do with them and would live happily ever after. Right. Um, you know, and, and luckily in that particular instance, our customer did not send the funds. The the they realized it was a scam. I think they realized it was probably too good to be true. And yeah. Um, you know, that was one where, you know, when we told him, said, look, yeah, odds are it's not even a woman behind it, right? You know, the, the pictures, yeah. whatever you see, that, that they're simply painting the reality they want you to see, but, that, you know, that's not, that's not who's probably behind it. But that, that is a common one that, that it gold bars or anything of value where they say, hey, I need help shipping it or, you know, paying taxes on it. You know, that's a, that's a very common hook that they'll use. Yeah. I asked him, did you at least pay the money to the shipping company? No, no, I said it right. Uh, well, then you can't even try. And of course, even the shipping company could be in a fraud company right. name and, and not really be accurate. How long of a process in this uh, example you were using, how long from start to finish till they they made initial contact till they finally felt like the relationship was strong enough to where they could ask for money? Yeah, I, I think if I remember correctly in this one, it was a couple of months. You know, yeah. I mean, I think you're. It's going to depend. I mean, unfortunately, there are probably some people within a week or so, you know, that we, we've, we've seen scams where somebody said, oh, yeah, this person just contacted me last week. And, you know, they've, they've, they'll, they'll literally show the banker, here's all the correspondence, here's my emails or text messages. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're caught, they're hooked quick. But some people, obviously, it takes a little longer. But the, the criminals on the other side are, are, are willing to, to play the game and, and, and draw it out as long as they have to if they feel like they can get an end result. So basically, you get a call like this, you get a text like this, email, whatever, just delete it. Uh, don't 
don't respond. Yeah. Don't try to continue. Don't try to do anything for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say most of these probably don't, aren't, aren't going to be through a phone call or, or, or an email. They're going to come in through Facebook, through, through Facebook. social media, right? Or, you know, Instagram, whatever, you know, whatever folks use, because that's how people are going to communicate. And they've got these fake profiles built. So it feels like, Hey, I can sort of build up trust by here's what they think is the true real person. Um, so a lot of times, yeah, if you get messages and, and I've, I've admittedly have basically quit just using Facebook, Facebook probably thinks I'm dead because I haven't used it in so long. Um, but you know, I, I remember getting these, you know, that it would be a picture of an attractive young woman with a very strange name that was, Hey, yeah. saw your profile. And I mean, even luckily, even in my younger days, I was smart enough to ignore those. And that's, you yeah. know, that's really just the best thing that you can do is, is, you know, I, I would advise. Don't just delete it, ignore it, whatever. You know, don't don't pay it any any time or attention. So, what are the scammers trying to do when they send a an invite? Somehow, so I get an invite for to be a friend from somebody. I'm pretty sure they're already friends on my friend list, and so now I'll go back and check and look and see. Yes, they're already a friend. So I just delete that request. So, what are they trying to gain by by having another request sent by somebody who is already a friend of yours? What what can they get from that? Well, I think a lot of that is is building sort of that social capital, right? It's it's well, wait a second. If this person is, I know this person, and they're friends with them, it sort of buys them a bit of social capital, right? To say, well, okay, maybe this person is legitimate. It makes it, it gives it more of an air of legitimacy. Now, I've also heard of times where you know an individual reaches out to somebody who is their friend through whatever social network, and that person says, oh, my my account was hacked. And people started, you know, somebody took it over and started sending right. all these right. requests out. And that wasn't even me. Right. So, I've seen you know, that. You, you can always yeah. run into that as well. Yeah. But I was thinking someone who's already a friend, you get a friend request from someone who's already a friend. Mm-hmm. So they're not really trying to build social capital, but somehow trying to hack into your account by another means, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, it, I, it, and it's, it's personal information, right? Any, any personal information they can gain, you know, because many people, unfortunately, are overshared. They probably put too much on social media. So, again, Anything they can gain from learning about a person, it just it, it, it helps perpetuate their schemes. Some people definitely overshare. I don't think I don't think we have any argument about that one for sure. All right, any other romance scams? Are those the main ones that are going out there now? Uh, I think the another one that you're going to see is uh, that also sort of plays at people's heartstrings somewhat is somebody pretending to be in the military. Ah, um, okay. That they're, they say they're they're based overseas. They've purchased various items while they're overseas. Uh, and they need to they need to get that stuff back and they need to pay taxes and tariffs on it again. And they say, hey, you know, if you can send me ten thousand dollars, I can get it when I get back to the States. You know, we'll meet up. We'll we'll have a normal relationship, yeah. um, you know, because, again, they're they're preying on the fact that people think, you know, oh, hey, I really want to help a soldier. It may, it may not even be a case of necessarily romance. It could be if it's a woman. But sometimes it's just playing on. Well, this is a soldier. I got to help right. him out. You right. know, we tell them, look, help the veterans. Exactly. And we're saying, look, they, they work for the U.S. government and anything they get is going to get shipped back with them. You know, you, yeah. no soldiers should, is going to ask you for that. You know, yeah. it's just it's a little bit of common sense. Again, why? Why would a somebody who's based, you know, and they're usually based in, in Africa or Asia or somewhere yeah. far flung. And they'll say, you know, hey, I, like I said, I, I just need help with this. But when I get back, I'll pay you back. You know, right. they, they, they can pay you once they get back, but they can't pay it while they're, you know, they're overseas. <laughs> of course not. So what about those uh, phone calls that you get from someone who's a says that their their grandson is in jail or uh, something and they need some money to get him out? Is that is that a romance scam or is that just a. I mean, scam? I wouldn't I wouldn't no, I wouldn't. That would not fall into the category that those those tend to be more, um, 
I guess I guess maybe the right term is um, you're really preying on people to, to an urgency. It's almost like an urgency scam, right? Um, we did actually had somebody who, by unfortunately for her, she had immigrated to the U.S. was not a U.S. citizen. She was in the U.S. legally, and somebody said they called up pretending to be immigrations that they were going to deport. Uh. Her. Okay. And she had, I think she ended up sending about $60,000 for fear that they were wow. going to deport her, her entire family. And, and, you know, and then by the time she finally came forward, unfortunately, we couldn't get the money back. But that was one where at least we could direct her to federal authorities to confirm, like, you know, you're, you're fine. You're not going to get deported. Nothing bad is going to happen to your family. Now, unfortunately, your money is gone. Right. Um, but, but that was one where they just hit the jackpot that unluckily for her, she was actually an immigrant. But, you know, again, grandparents worried about grandchildren. You know, maybe they, they found out through Facebook or some means that, oh, look, they have a grandson named Johnny. And, you know, Johnny looks like he's about college age. And maybe Johnny was in Mexico and yeah. did something he wasn't supposed to. And now he's he's, he's under arrest, you know, yeah. and they really play that. You, you got to do it urgently and immediately. Um, and, you know, those those are really going to be that's where the phone call comes in. Right. That it's a little more urgent because obviously emails or things through social media, people are less apt to respond to immediately, but a phone yeah. call you pick up, you're, you're really trying to, to grab them to, to, to panic, right? To take, yeah. take advantage of that panic that, that they've got to act immediately. So what are some forms of payment people are requesting? I know we just got a minute before the bottom of the hour, but uh, the kind of payment that are should be a red flag, like gift cards or things yep. like that. Oh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Gift cards, any kind of gift cards, whether it's, you know, the, the Visa gift cards or any of the reloadable ones that they can do. Um, you know, why, I mean, wires are obviously common because it's fast, right? They yeah. can wire it or, you know, they'll say, hey, you need to set up a PayPal account or a Venmo account, you know, something that the person may not have. And you have to send the funds this way. And now we're even seeing cryptocurrency, you know, that they say you need to purchase X amount of Bitcoin and, and, and send that. So that that's kind of the, the latest way. Wow, I've seen that as well. All right. I'm talking to Carl Francois, that's a senior vice president and fraud officer at Southern First Bank. Talking about frauds and scams, got a lot more to talk about and a lot more ways to help you protect yourself when we come back to the second uh, half of Talking Money. So join us in just a couple of minutes as we continue our conversation. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, Private Wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private Wealth Advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller, your host for today. Of course, you can always get copies of these recordings that we do at TalkingMoneyRadio.com, which is, of course, another place you can send a question. You can just go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com and find the Ask Mike a Question and click on that and send in your questions, or you can send a question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. That's the same place you can go to where it says Listen. Click on that, and then you will get a list of the various 
programs that have already been recorded and posted, you can you can actually search by topic. So if you want to find a particular topic like frauds, or if you want to talk about insurance or it's taxes, then then just do a search in the search bar, search for that. It'll it'll come up with the programs that were at least some portion of that program we talked about that subject, and you can listen to it, rewind it, and however long it takes for you to how many times it needs. You need to listen to it before it actually sinks in because sometimes these get a little complicated. My wife talks about that a lot where she says, you're getting too complicated. Well, so some of these things are just complicated. And so I think it's important for listeners to know that um, that we understand those complicated uh, techniques and strategies that we may be talking about that uh, you need to have someone that you can rely on, that you trust, have confidence in to, to give you the right kinds of advice that you need for your particular situation that's not trying to sell you something. So that's what we call talking money, the answers you need without the sales pitch because virtually all the rest of the shows on the radio are trying to sell you something they just don't tell you they are. And, and that's that's not fraud, but it, it seems to come close to it. So my guest today, Carl Francois over at Southern First Bank, he's the fraud officer over there, newly acquired fraud officer at Southern First Bank, and has had a lot of experience in this area and has a lot of stories and uh, not necessarily fun stories, but important stories to make sure that you don't have the same. We'd rather learn from somebody else's mistake, Carl, than our own, right? Yeah, absolutely. Those are always the easier lessons yeah, to learn. Yeah, yeah. So right before the break, we were talking about some of the ways that payments or money is requested and how some of that can be should be a red flag, not a yellow flag, but a red flag, big waving it. And we talked about um, the gift cards, and you've had even some examples of that where people had uh, were, were – almost laundering gift cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the, the the example that I'm about to give was a little bit different in the fact that this individual, it wasn't their money. It was they mm. had been contacted. They had agreed to accept funds on behalf of somebody else. They were then instructed to purchase gift cards, stick them in FedEx envelopes, and mail them overseas. And ultimately, if I remember correctly, it was almost $300,000. Um, wow. And yeah, and, that's and a lot of gift cards. That, that is a lot of gift cards. Um, and it, it went on for, I believe, a couple of years. And, and that was one where, unfortunately, this individual ended up uh, getting prosecuted and going to prison because at the end of the day, they were not the victim. They helped facilitate, essentially, launder money for a criminal element right. from funds that were fraudulently obtained from someone else. Wow. What other ways of payment should be a red flag? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I think the big one, the big ones now that you're going to see are really with with PayPal, with Venmo, with the person to person, right? And, okay. and because again, they can get those funds really quickly. You can, you know, you set those up, you time to your account, and they, it provides some anonymity as far as where you're sending it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like we said, with all the with all the crypto, that's that's really a big thing. You know, we've we've had people come in and say, hey, I was instructed. They'll they'll hand a piece of paper over to a banker and say, you know, that. I'm investing in cryptocurrency and somebody sent me money and now I'm, I need to purchase some. And here's the instructions on where I'm supposed to wire you know, $40,000 to in order to purchase cryptocurrency mm-hmm. on behalf of somebody else. Uh, um, you know, kind of, you know, we, we all like to think of our, you know, pretty highly of our intelligence. But if, if you have no knowledge of really how cryptocurrency works, but all of a sudden, you know, you, you get an email and all of a sudden you're expected to be a cryptocurrency investor you know, the the odds are the sucker might be you. So yeah, we don't want that. Yeah, yeah. So this, how how often in the years of experience you've had in this, can they trace this stuff? And and are these criminals so smart that they're changing the IP addresses, changing all this stuff, so that you can never trace it? Uh, 
has anybody ever been caught? I mean, you talked about this one lady that was caught. I mean, have any of the 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 actual criminals that are perpetrating this and creating this being caught because they got traced back? Are they just too smart? There are some success stories. Now, again, I would say most of what you get when I say you, the average American citizen, if you get an email, a phone call, it's from somebody most likely outside the country. So that in itself creates problems. That's where our law enforcement has to work internationally with other law enforcement agencies. But there have been in the past. There have been large raids where they've successfully captured people. Now, at the end of the day, odds are you're probably the people are never going to see their money back, right, that have been defrauded. They've already spent it or, or, or whatnot. Um, but but there are some success stories, but it is very difficult. They they are smart enough to use what they call onion routers that can hide the IP address to where 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 they're actually originating from. Um, and then again, they'll use what we refer to as mules. They'll use in betweens to receive the funds. You know, a lot of times if if you are sending the money, chances are you may not even be. You're probably not sending it directly to the fraudster. You're sending it to someone else who's going to send it to someone else who's then going to send it. You know, as much space wow. as they can get wow. between the person that's being defrauded yeah. and where yeah. it's ultimately going, um, that's you know that's part of the laundering process of moving the funds and trying to keep their nose clean. Well, we see all these things, and and that's one of the the issues, maybe problems with TV and all these these criminal shows that are on there. They show these people doing just that. So oh, we can't trace it because they did all these IP addresses. We don't know if they're giving the, the scammers ideas or if they're just picking them up from what they're already doing. Um, but the, they seem like they're always smarter on TV than what they can actually do in reality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I would honestly say a lot of the stuff you see on TV and, and some a few various shows, like uh, I know one that's popular or was on, on Netflix, Ozark, where I know they actually brought somebody from the FBI to teach them how money laundering worked and how to do it. So I think a lot of times on the TV shows, they're, they're probably pulling from real life cases, yeah. you know, that, that again, yeah. real life yeah. is actually better than fiction in, in a lot of circumstances. <laughs> That's right. Well, you see those shows also where they take someone who was a criminal mm-hmm. and they bring them in and they use them as their consultant to help yep. them understand how the criminal minds work. Yeah. And I guess there's some of that actually going on. Huh? Yeah. If you, it, it, I'm sure a lot of people are probably very familiar with the movie Catch Me If You Can. Well, oh, yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks. Sure. Frank Abagnale lives in Charleston. The, the guy that they caught that that was based on, he, he lives in Charleston. He works for the federal. It was either you can work for the federal government or we can throw you in jail forever. He chose to work for the yeah. government. And I believe if I'm, if I'm correct, I think he actually has three children that work for the FBI now. <laughs> so that was a pretty good return on investment, I guess, for a good decision for him. But. So be a smart criminal and you have a job for life with yeah. the FBI. <laughs> Well, I don't think we want to encourage anybody for that. All right. So, Carl, my wife got this email. It says, uh, Kathy Miller has settlement check is arrived. So it wasn't really great English. So that was a little bit of a a yellow flag anyway. It came from Roundup Case at Help Law. And then it says, uh, payout verification due to your involvement in a class action or injury lawsuit. A settlement payment may have just come in at the following webpage. Go there now to accept what's reserved in your name. And it's twenty-five. It's a check. There's a picture of a check, $25,000. So, of course, you can get excited about that and say, well, yeah, I want to get my $25,000. Well, she's smart enough to know that's, that's a scam. And the first place that she looked was up in the actual email line. And the email address is, you know, ytpjnjla at jct.likans.com. It's like, okay, that sounds a little suspicious right there. So, how how much are people getting scammed by these kind of things? Unfortunately, they still do. And, and you know, whether it's just people, again, that aren't Internet savvy 
Um, you know, because as you correctly identified, the sender, look at that address. You know, some are better than others at spoofing that. The gr- grammatical errors is extremely common because, again, most of these people that are sending them, English is not their first language. So there's a reason. Um, and, and large companies, I can promise you, whether it's your bank or your investment firm, they would fire people if they send emails out like this, right, to, to, mm-hmm. to say, well, hey, right. you know, your account may have been compromised or something. And there's all these grammatical errors. It's like well, whoever in the marketing department is not going to be working very long if they can't put together a you know, grammatically correct sentence. Right, so, right. You know, those are, those are huge red yeah. flags. And, yeah, again, those are ones that – you see it, delete it, and, and again, the, the good old-fashioned, if it sounds too good to be true, it, it most likely probably yeah. is. Right? Assume that it is. Yeah. And if you get these emails that may have the logo that looks like a PayPal logo or something else that looks so legitimate, the bank's logo, uh, that's where it's important to look at the actual email address because that's probably not going to say and, – and you mentioned like it may say Apple, but they'll put – Two L's and Apple, and hope you don't notice. Right? Yeah, yeah. The ones that are the ones that are a little bit better, they'll they'll try to spoof it, but obviously they can't send it directly from the Apple listserv, so they have to change it just enough to, or they'll put they'll insert a period in between some of the letters, hoping you don't notice that extra period. So yeah, you, you really have to have to have a little bit of an eye for detail there. Yeah, yeah. And and your best assumption, just assume it's a scam and delete it. If it's important enough, they'll send it again or they'll call you. Exactly. And, and likely that's the IRS is not going to send you an email that says, no. hey, you need to do this. They're going to, you're going to get an official certified letter from them that says what they want and, and, right. and we'll get probably eventually. Anyway. Okay. So we only have uh, one segment left, but we'll be talking about some safeguards and who can help and that kind of thing. Some important information, I think, for everyone, every listener needs to know these kinds of things. So we'll be back with the last segment of Talking Money in just a couple of minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, private wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee, Incorporated. Separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. Welcome back to Talking Money. We've got about 12 minutes left here in the program today talking to Carl Francois. We're talking about fraud. and He's a fraud officer and senior vice president of Southern First Bank. And, and we always welcome your questions at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. So send those questions to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. And uh, or, of course, if you want to just uh, have a chat to see if uh, what we do at Ronald Blue Trust may be a benefit to you, uh, never hurts to talk. So that number, 800-588-7526 or plan 7526. Just feel free to give me a call. We'll be glad to have a chat with you to see if uh, we may want to continue that conversation. All right. The time we have left, Carl, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the safeguards that uh, some of the things I guess you watch out for, some of the safeguards that you should have just in general to help you. Avoid this because they're, be, they're always going to be coming up with new scams. So we want to have some general philosophies on what to look out for to uh, keep from getting caught up in that. Right, right. 
Yeah, and, you know, we've already covered a couple of them, right? I mean, you know, any have some healthy skepticism of anything that, that comes your way that, that potentially you're just not sure of, right? That that, that always helps. Um, you know, and, and another one I think is, is this, like I said, we said disregarding unsolicited communication, right? You know, you, they've gotten so good at now, I know that when I get a phone call and it has the same area code and first three digits of my actual cell number, I know it's a spam call and I don't even bother answering it, you know, because the funny thing is my number has followed me. I haven't changed it. So now I'm actually more apt to pick up because I know my number is from a different state. So, uh, okay. um, but that, that's one thing they've, they've tried, they've tried to, to do that. So that's, that's another good one again. So local area code means it's probably scam if you don't recognize the number. No, if, if no. it matches your number. Matches like, your number. Yeah, yeah, ah, yeah. Gotcha. If it matches yours. Okay. So no matter where, where I go, right, I've, I've kept my same cell phone number for the last 20 years. So when I get one that's the same, Three digits of the area code and the same, the first three digits of my number, only uh, the last four digits are different. Okay. I immediately know that's a scam call. So if you see uh, it, I, I can tell you with certainty, don't, don't even bother answering it. Okay. Um, so okay. yeah, so that, that, that's a good one too. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and one thing, obviously everybody hears about passwords, right? You know, don't, don't leave your passwords laying around. And another thing is don't send any passwords via email. You know, that is one thing. Don't stick anything that you think is private or confidential in an email. Um, to, to your, to your banker, to, to anybody really, you know, because at the end of the day, what, what fraudsters are really good at is they can actually get in your email and they'll watch. They'll just go through your emails and wait for you to put something that's of value that they can take. Right. Um, so we really caution, always caution people don't stick anything of value in there that you, you absolutely don't have to. We had a program a couple of years ago where we talked to the fraud officer at Schwab and she was talking about the issues they had with wires and where people would, they, the person would be watching that email trail and then when it got to the end where it was about to give the information on on uh, how to wire it they would send an email it looked just like it came from the attorney's office and but it would be changing the wire instructions to a different place and when they saw that said that's a sure sign that somebody's probably hacked into that don't ever take those instructions over an email you want to make sure you call the attorney's office and talk to them directly, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That that is uh, referred to as the business email compromise. Very, very common. Almost all banks, financial institutions, we all had to change our processes because fraudsters got so good at that yeah. that it was a legitimate email from the person. And you know, so I, I know for some customers they thought, well, you know, this is an inconvenience now that I have to do my wires differently. But it's just for people's protection. And you know, I know we've always stressed, you know, having a dual control that two people have to sign off on wires. You yeah. know, there's always the, hey, the CEO wants this. It needs to get done now. It's super secret. Nobody knows about it. That's a red flag, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, and we try to train our bankers internally, right? If they get some sort of correspondence like that to say, stop and think a minute. I know you want to be customer focused, but once the money's gone, we can't get it back. Right. You know, I, I'd rather be, be safe than sorry in that instance. That's so, your job to make sure the bankers... Yeah. Catch that, right? Yeah. To, yeah. To educate them. Absolutely. Yeah. You, as, as, I, I didn't coin this phrase, but it was, it was a good phrase. It was like, don't, don't make a career altering decision on, on some of those things, you know, <laughs> um, that, that, you know, unfortunately somebody's going to get the blame, right? For, for sending it when they, they, they shouldn't have. So, um, so yeah. So, you know, we, we try our best on our end to, to, to watch out for that stuff. And, you know, another thing, especially from a business standpoint that, that most places have is what they call positive pay. You know, it's something for your checks. So where you're basically verifying all the checks that you wrote to 
prevent mm. check fraud. Okay. You know, I mean, you know, we go to more and more cashless or not cashless and checkless society. Right, right. But a lot of businesses still do checks. Attorneys, you know, places like that, they still do them. Sure. And check fraud is still something that we see every single day. You know, somebody trying to write a check off of a closed account or they try to wash the check and change the payees, that kind of stuff. But with the positive pay, that really helps because it basically sends a file back to the customer and they verify, yep, wrote that one, wrote that one, wrote that one before the funds get paid out. Okay. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's really helpful. And, and at the end of the day, I would say anything that your, your bank, credit union, investor, whoever you're, you're doing business with, any safeguards they have really take advantage of them. You know, the, the dual, a lot of people are, are kind of familiar with the term now, dual authentication, you know, where you go to do some sort of transaction and you can set it up to where you have to enter a code that gets sent to your, your, your cell phone. Or to send an email right. to your email account. Yeah. There's just there's that extra layer of protection. Absolutely do it. I mean, it's for it, it takes a few seconds longer, but it's you know it's for your protection and for your benefit. Yeah. So uh, that's that's a lot of that's going on, and elderly people do seem to be targeted quite frequently. So what are some things if you've got an elderly parent and you're trying to protect them really against themselves and writing checks they shouldn't be writing? What are some things that you might recommend their child to do, assuming the child is an honest child and you, right. you don't mind them being uh, involved in your financial situation? What are some things they can do to help protect themselves? I think one of the things is, is you know, first and foremost, just an interest in it to, to, to help people, you know, specifically, you know, I know like my parents are getting a little older, they're, you know, they're using email, they're using the internet, and I make sure I talk to them about, hey, you know, if you ever get this, you ever get that. Now, luckily for them, they know what I do for a living, so they know who they can pick up and call and run it by. <laughs> it's pretty easy for them. Um, but just, you know, even uh, the, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, they have really good videos about scams that go oh, on. Okay. So, yeah, you could always, you know, if, if your elderly don't have a, they do not have a computer, you can take your laptop over there, go to the FTC just type in scams and it'll it'll actually bring up lots of information you can read over. Because, again, as, as kind of we've said, a lot of the stuff, it's the same thing. They just change a little detail here or there, you know, but it's a lot of the same stuff over and over. And, you know, obviously, when in doubt, you tell them, hey, look, when in doubt, don't panic. Pick up the phone and call somebody you trust before right. you do anything. Right. Exactly. So how um, when you're when you're the subject of the scam or you think it's a scam and even if you didn't um, fall for it, but you'd like to tell somebody that you had it. I mean, how important is it to try to pass that along or are these agencies so inundated already that they're, that your one next email that they get is really not going to matter. Right. They, they already know about these from somebody else. Is it important to right. try to report that stuff? Well, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to remember that if a fraudster's doing this, you're not the only victim. They, right. they, they, how they can help track these people down is they can start seeing common points of contact. And, you know, that really helps them, you know, solve cases. Um, you know, ironically enough, we find it's a lot easier for people when they get something that they think, man, this, this looks fraudulent. And they'll, they'll bring, they'll print out the email or whatever. They'll bring it to their banker and the banker will say, oh, yeah, I'm going to send this to our fraud department or, you know, wherever. A lot of times it's harder for the people that have been scammed. And, again, just, just. The, 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 the fact that they have to admit, hey, I got duped. Well, look, yeah. better to get duped one time than multiple times. It's, it's, it's always okay. There are plenty of people that are willing to help you. You know, again, you're, you're a banker, your investment advisor, somebody that you know personally and can trust. You can always go to them and say, hey, what, what yeah. should I do with this? Um, an, another good resource, uh, the, the FBI has, it's called ic3.gov. You can go on there. It's for, it's 
any kind of internet crimes is what they do. You can report it whether you were scammed or not. It's anything's helpful to them, right? They they collect all that information and they try to find commonalities and and it, it's always it's always you know better for them to have more information than not enough. So what kinds of things are they going to be asking you for? So obviously an email, it's easy to to mm-hmm. forward. I guess they'd have a way for you to maybe attach an email to something. Right. But if it's a voicemail, if it's I mean, do you just describe it? What do you do? Yeah. Well, on the on if you get something over the phone, that's actually you can go back to the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. You can report those. They 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 want you to report any sort of phone abuse. They, they, uh, whether it's a voicemail and basically just, it's almost like you've witnessed a crime, right? If a police officer, if you, you saw somebody rob a bank, they're just, what, what do you know? Anything that you know is beneficial, right? Um, now if you have the voicemail, sure, you can keep it. They may say, you, we may try to get that from you or just what are the details? What, what is a transcript? And you write out a transcript of, of what, you know, what they said. Um, but yeah, anything that you have is, is valuable to them. And again, like I said, anything that you get, be it email, be it over the phone, be it social media. I think you can always go to the FTC. They're going to take those. Obviously, they're not known as an investigative organization, but they're going to farm that stuff out to the FBI, Secret Service, yeah, whoever's yeah. going to do the ultimate investigation. Okay, so a fairly new thing uh, for me and a lot of people is this new face ID. So a lot of people are asking, a lot of companies are asking, do you want to do face ID? Uh, as an extra layer of protection, based on some things you've already said, I assume you would say yes, you should try to do that face ID, or does that help a lot or not? Yeah, I mean, I personally use it. You know, before we kind of went to the fingerprint, and now it's kind of gone to the face ID, and I think that helps because you know, at the end of the day, I don't know how somebody. I, I guess somebody can figure it out, but I don't know how somebody's going to replicate your face, right? That's um, probably definitely safer than a password. Um, but to say that they won't come up with a way to hack that too, I mean, we, yeah. you build a safe, they, they find a way to crack it, you have to build a better safe. So it's just the, the constant cat and mouse that we play. Has anybody tried to take a picture of somebody and tried to use the picture to see if it works on the face uh, ID? I, I, you know, I've not heard of that, but I, I, I'm sure somebody has tried. Where there's a will, there's a way. So I'm, I'm sure someone somewhere has tried that. There may not be enough resolution to, to yeah. get that. that yeah. Surely they've found a way to figure that out, but because even if I'm not, facing right at the phone it, it'll say oh face id not required mm-hmm. but then of course if you're in your spouse like my wife and i we, we both have the same codes to get in so if, if we i need to get she needs to get to my phone or hers if mm-hmm. i'm answering her phone for some reason like i at least have the code to get in right. so i need to keep those codes i've got actually a little um device that my wife bought for me that has all the passwords in it so you can store all the passwords in there you just have to make sure you remember the password to get to that right and then you've got it there all right. Well, we're out of time. So I, I appreciate Carl. Appreciate you coming and sharing your years of experience and wisdom with me. And uh, any any other uh, five seconds of advice? Uh, always be discerning. Be discreet. Yeah. Always watch out. And, yeah. and I think assume it's fraud, and you'll be better off. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Talking Money today. We'll talk to you next week for the next edition of Talking Money. <laughs> 